1: Today's reading is Acts 8, verses 4-8, through Philip in Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed." So there was great joy in this city. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. As you can see, we're still fully remote right now. We are hoping next month to be live in person if everything goes according to plan. But for now, we're doing the virtual thing. And to start our fall, we realized that there's actually a lot of new people in the city right now. Uh, We know this because a lot of you have contacted us, trying to get involved, trying to get into a community group. And For everybody who's new, but also for everybody who's been part of this church, we have to ask in this season, what are we going to be about? Right? In, in COVID-19 and in 2020, what does it mean to be the church? And so we started a, a two-part series where we're asking, what does it mean to be LSQ? What are we going to be about? And we looked at, and are still looking at, the beginning of Acts chapter 8. And what we see there is a very similar church to us. They've Uh, been around for a couple years. They're young. Uh, They, um, you know, are, are, are a place where people are getting involved. And hopefully we're a place where we can get involved as well. And we have to ask them, what allowed them to handle the persecution that came? What allowed them to handle exclusion? And not just to thrive, but to actually affect the surrounding culture, to impact it through the plagues that were happening, through the hardships, through all the circumstances, through the cities. See, these are the questions we have to ask that we have to figure out in this fall because it will set the trajectory for the rest of our year. We have to know what our place is, what are our goals, what are we going to do, and I think this text shows us in four parts. It tells us what the revolutionary categories were of the original church, and they were this. It was word, deed, change joy. Those are the four things we're going to look at today. Word, deed, change, and joy. So first, word. Last week we saw at the very beginning that Saul was destroying and persecuting the church here, and as such, everybody who had been in one place in Jerusalem are now scattered. But the writer tells us very specifically it was a kind of scattering in verse 4 where they preached the word wherever they went. And the word to preach in Greek here, it's the Greek word evangelio. It shows up five times in this chapter. So the writer is very intent to say this is what's going on. And um, Luke, the writer of Acts, is very intentional. He wants us to see everyone. If you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, everyone. If you, potentially, if you're watching this, is scattered right now, but everybody goes out and preaches the word wherever they went. Now, how did they do that? Well, the example given to us is Philip. Philip is not an apostle, but he goes out. He's been taught by them, and um, even though the apostles didn't go, he does, and he goes to Samaria. You say, okay, why would he go there? Well, this is this is this is actually important and kind of a big deal because Philip was a Jew by birth. And Samaria, which was next door, for over a thousand years, these people hated each other. Samaria to the Jews, they, they practice a fake uh, faith. They were heretics, and so they were considered religiously inferior. But because of that, they've also, they were also considered racially inferior. They were the most despised people group in the world, and Philip somehow goes to them. See, usually, you know, if you're going to go out, you'd go to any other people group. You'd look around and go, okay, well, where should I go? Where should I go? Not those people over there. But Philip was changed in how he went out. Why would he go to these people? What seismic shift happened in him to change his perspective? And in a word, it was the word. Right? That... uh, This is where um, I feel like we're going so wrong right now. Our culture, our world is desperate for change. We want racial change. We want social change. We want political change. We want change. This society wants change. And the way they're trying to go about it is we're trying to beat each other up to get it. You can browbeat them. You can shame them. You can social media cancel them, which is what's being used right now. You can impress on an individuals' wills, but history I think shows that it doesn't actually change the person. A morally conformed heart is just a socially restrained heart. If all we're doing is, is moral com, cor, uh, you know conformity that just all that does is socially restrained. It's not a categorically changed heart. right So you can guilt trip you can guilt trip somebody. All you want, you can shame them on social media, but this will never change their inner workings. And I think the text shows us that the only thing that will change anyone is an encounter with the word of God. Look at Philip again. He was a Jew. They don't talk to Samaritans. Why would he go there? It was the good news found in the word. The word changed him, which is why that's all he could say when he left, is talk about the word. Verse 4 says so. And so I think this is where the world goes wrong. We go straight to deeds. The world says, you know what, screw, forget your word. Forget what you want to say as long as you, you know, fulfill the needs of the hungry and help the sick. But if you do that, you don't know the root of the problem. Right? You, can't, you can't get at the root of the problem unless you know what the problem is. And so the world needs to be healed. That's true. But you have to first ask them, why is it broken in the first place? If life just randomly evolved from nothing and then it's going to randomly devolve into nothing, then it's perfectly reasonable just to say that the strong should eat the weak. Right? If morality is just a social construct of the powerful, then who's to say the strong shouldn't eat the weak? Most of us don't actually believe it, I know. But what that means then is that if we know that what is wrong, then what's broken? Right? It's bro- what's broken is the relationship between God and others and ourselves. And we read about that. Where, we, where do we find out about that? We read about that in the Word. That is why there's racism. That is why there's violence. That is why there's disease in the hunger. And so unless you preach the Word, You won't see and read that you can't do this on your own. You won't see and read that you actually technically deserve worse, but you don't get it because you get grace. And I don't think people actually want to hear that, but Jesus tells them anyway, because that is where the locus of all change begins. Years ago, when I worked in Boston, uh, there was a, a young man there who was a pretty angry person, and I was his pastor, and this man always had something to say about everyone else, and he was always upset, and he always had something to say, and he was a pretty angry person, so I said, you know what, let's, let's sit down. Let's just start reading the Bible together, right? Yeah, um, let's, let's, let's just let's start talking about this, and we, so we started going through it over the months, he started getting the gospel bit by bit. He began to see himself in a new light, and I actually remember this clear as day. Actually, it wasn't from him. People, other people, started saying, "Hey, this guy's different. He's acting differently. He's not as mad. He's not as grumpy. What's going on? Different?" And I, I didn't. At first, I didn't notice. So I went to him and I said, "Hey, what's going on? What's anything different with you?" And he said, "You know, I always..." felt like I needed to be right. I needed to tell other people that I was right. But I don't feel like the need to do that anymore. Right? I used to think God accepted me because I was right, but now I realize I'm actually so wrong, I don't feel the need to put it to others. Besides, and and he's been quoted scripture to me. Romans 8, he said if there's now no condemnation for me, I want to be slower to feel like I'm giving con- con- condemnation back out to others. So do you see what happens here? The word changed him. I didn't do it. it, w- it, it, it I'm, I, he didn't do it. But the, the real change happens, not because somebody yelled at him and said, hey, you got to stop being an angry person. Stop doing that. How dare you? You're going to be a jerk forever. That's not what happened. If you tried to say that to him at any point, he would just get angry at you probably. But not the gospel. The word melted his heart. He was transformed from within. That the, the, and that's what the world needs more than anything else. It's for you. See, I think it, probably your mind was, oh yeah, the world needs to be transformed. No, no, no. The world needs you to be transformed by the word. And then with that transform, transformation, you go out into the world and love and serve and transform others. There's that famous story about Augustine, right, when back in the fourth century... Um, he had many mistresses in, in town, and um, he was a known womanizer who slept around. But after his conversion, he was walking in the market square, and one of his old mistresses came up to him and and you know started talking to him. Um, but he didn't respond in his usual way. He didn't respond the way the old way, and so she assumed that he didn't actually recognize her. So as they part, he she turns around and says, "Augustine, it is I." And, and Yet Augustine says, I, I, "Indeed, I know, but it is not I." He had been changed by the word Redeemer, Lincoln Square. In this season, if we are to be people of the word, not just the apostles are this. It's not just for this. Is not just for the professionals. You know, the people who are, who, who who run the church, lay people, everyday people, affected by the word and conversationally engaged in the world and through the world. That's what we are about. And so the question I guess I have to ask you before we move on is are you reading it? Do you read your word? Do you study it? Do you recognize your limitations and your own knowledge with it and, and, and interaction and understand the context and background? So do you put yourself with others? Do you go to community groups with others to study it? How about just one or two other people? How about an email chain? I mean, I'm not giving you one right way to do it. There's so many different ways. Don't wait for the church necessarily. It says here, the people just did it. The church grew here through everyday people living out their lives, affecting those around the city.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer Dot com slash YouTube
1: that's first word now second deed. verse 4 says the scattered seed go out they went out and in verse 5 Philip goes down proclaims the Messiah which in Greek it's the Christ and so Philip through the,
0: him being moved out Once the the word goes in verse 7, it says miracles happen, the
1: paralyzed are healed, deeds of service are seen, and then by verse 8 it says that's how and why the city was filled with great joy. See, Philip had come to a city with needs. Cities are filled with needy people, the lame, the hurting, the broken. And yet, what is so unusual is that this is basically the game plan for Christians, that Christians in their practices, what they do that is so different from everybody else in society is this, right? Years ago, um, let me just try to give you the, the distinction in, in, in how this plays out. Years ago, thousands of years ago, uh, society, it was very common for society to, to throw out unwanted children. It was called infant side. Often it was, with, it was girls. And they would literally throw the girls out into the gutter. And this practice is actually still done in some countries in the world. And Christians, because of the word, what ends up happening is they built orphanages. They housed them. They brought them in. And they did this because if you weren't adopted, something worse befell you. Death, slavery, um, much worse. And um, that's that's a marked distinction for Christians. Let me give you another one. Christianity was the first multi-ethnic people group. If you, you can actually look this up in history, all major religions today, except for Christianity, are still mostly racially and geographically based. The, the, the main concentration of Islam is still in the Middle East. The main concentration of Hinduism is still in India. Uh, all of our religions are culturally and racially and geographically based still. Every single one. Except for Christianity. Why? Because all of humanity mostly still is what's called kin-based. They favor their own kin, their own family, over outside families. That's how humans naturally operate. Harvard cultural evolutionary theorist Joseph Heinrich just came out with a a seminal, groundbreaking tone. It's not even a book. It's huge. And um, you can read about some of the reviews online. But what he points out is that there's a marked difference in Western culture that led to prosperity and change, and it was because of Christianity. Christians were the first people, because of their emphasis on not just intergendered marriage, but marriage where they couldn't marry your own family, your own kin, your own cousins. It forced people to look outside, and therefore they became the first and only major multiple ethnic religion. In fact, scholars point this out, that our secular, modern society's ethical values... Do not come from evolutionary biology. Right? You, you can't trace that. They come, back from, they come from Christianity. Go back over that list. Values life, even when the culture doesn't. Values diversity, even when the culture do- doesn't know why they value diversity. How about sexual ethics? 2,000 years ago, there was a huge double standard, and there still kind of is one, where men could have sex with whomever they want, but the wife could not. It was actually codified in laws. That was sexist. That was unfair. And Christianity said, no, that's wrong. And so what are all these values? And you say, well, these are just values, Michael. Well, no, they're actually deeds. Because their actions in society led to social transformation. And so here's the point. The church, if we're really word-based, you don't hide that truth under under a bushel. This is Matthew 5. Uh, We're to be a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. We, our light is to shine out in front of others. Why? Right. This is the text. In Matthew 5, it says, So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what it says. And that means Lincoln Square, Redeemer Lincoln Square, we should not be operating incognito. We are to be a church of word and deed. Word explains why, what we do, and deed what happens there is it shows forth, and so now, and you guys remember this: some of our deeds will make sense to the culture, right? Feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, moving out. I mean, I'm so tired of the media talking about how bad the city is. If you signed up online on our website to get my email updates, I've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks. We know the city is worse than it before, but this text is showing. And every, I think, Christian text, every biblical text shows this, is that Christians should be then flocking to this place. Christians should be flocking to the city if the city is getting worse. Redeemer Lincoln Square, right now, I'm more jazzed than ever. Be a pl- this should be a place where we can live out word and deed. But you need to know that some of your deeds won't make sense. What happens if you believe marriage is uh, the only location for sex? Right? The, the culture goes, what, what? Why? And you say, well, how's that a deed? Well, when you don't have sex before marriage, we refuse to use each other and just sort of uh, absorb each other and you, and um, take from each other. It preserves um, relationships because it does less injury over time. And so the way we treat each other, the way that we, we act towards each other, it will lead to great joy. It did 2,000 years ago and it can do it again. It's a word indeed. Thirdly, all right, fine. How? How does this all work out? And the third thing that we see here is change. Philip was changed to do this. He would not have gone down to Samaria. He would not have gone down to an unclean city, to the worst people whom generationally had, he had been raised to hate unless he had been changed. And that means Philip had stopped breaking the world down into bad people and then good people. That's how everything else works, right? The uh, left politically breaks, breaks everybody down to bad and good, the right Politically, breaks everybody down into bad and good. Social media is doing that for you and making money off of you. It uses algorithms to divide us into groups that then feeds us the content that it knows that we want, that we're hooked to this echo chamber so we see the ads, and so we just pump billions of dollars into this company. That that fractures people into the good guys and the bad guys. The gospel changes that our whole approach, and it changed Philip. See, let, let me let me try to depict this for you. Because what changed was who Jesus was for Philip, and we're not told in this passage. But if you go a little bit later in this chapter, Philip actually meets an Ethiopian. Right, he's scattered, he's out, and he see he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who was castrated by the Ethiopian king. They did this back then. It was a way to um, ensure trust in the palace. That uh, it was a it was a way for for. Um, a lot of the magistrates and a lot of the uh, officials of a kingdom were, were uh, castrated, and it makes you very lonely. You can't have a family. You, you're, you're ostracized. You're 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 kept down. You're sexually an outcast. And so this man shows up. He's an African, probably going home very disappointed because eunuchs were not allowed into the temple, and he really wanted to be there. And so this man is a racial outsider. He's a sexual outsider. He's a social outsider. And he's distraught, and he's reading Isaiah. And if you go to Isaiah 56, it it actually says, let no foreigner say, the Lord will exclude me. And so he knows that, like, wait, I shouldn't be excluded. But he's just excluded from the temple. Right? And so he's upset, and Philip sees him reading Isaiah chapter 53, and what it says there is this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And so the eunuch is reading this, and you know, in his own humiliation, he was just deprived of justice. He can't, you know, um, himself. And he's reading about an, an, someone else who is going to be excluded. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Who else is going to be cut off and castrated? Who else, is going to, who else did this? Who can't have descendants? Right? This is in the back of his mind. For his life was taken from this earth. And the eunuch probably was bewildered. Who was this person who also, like him, doesn't have descendants, who was led like a sheep to the slaughter? Who would do this for me? That is where Philip shows up. And from that passage on, he begins to take scripture and show through the word the good news about Jesus. Philip could not have spent time with this complete outsider, someone who had no connections, and say, Jesus, he couldn't have done this. And once it had moved in himself first to say, Jesus, by the way, became a eunuch for all eunuchs. Every other religious leader says, you have to live up to me. And Philip's able to say, no, no, no. Jesus lived for thee. Philip could show how everything pointed to Jesus. Jesus was the true David who defeated the Goliaths of our lives. Jesus is the true elder brother who actually gives us his inheritance and doesn't try to keep it for himself. If he was just a moral teacher... Nothing changes. But if Jesus wins by losing, if he doesn't come in condemnation but actually in service, and if that is inside of you and if that it moves you, it will turn you into a Philip. You will start going to people who surprise you. You'll find people along your way that you did not think you would come upon. People you might have been afraid of before, but now you aren't. People you used to have not have time for now you do all of a sudden. This is why I love that Philip went down to the city. Because this, well, the city is weird. It's where the unclean, it's where the needy are. And it didn't phase Philip. He said, of course, that's where I would go. He knew that he was unclean too. So of course he could be with un- the unclean. What if LSQ, what if Redeemer Lincoln Square, if we inside of it, the scattered, what if we looked around at the city? And we saw people who didn't fit our profile, who didn't fit our categories, our moral choices, our ethnic background, our economic particularities. Cities attract people who don't fit the cookie cutter mold of suburbia. And Jesus says to them, come all ye who are weary, for I will give you rest. He has done that for you. Here's the secret. You're weird too. You're unclean too. You think it's, those people are, but guess what? You are. And he's done that for you despite the fact that it's undeserved. And now we can do that for other people as well. What if LSQ, what if Redeemer Lincoln Square in this next season, we pushed ourselves out of self-preservation into otherly preservation? Again, it's not the apostles who did this. It, was, it wasn't the church leaders. Don't wait around for us. I'm happy to lead. But word and deed living happens through change. This happens through you. Now, last point, joy. The ingredient that makes all this work. The thing that LSQ has to be about is joy. If I could have a summary verse for Lincoln Square, I would love for it to be verse 8. So that there was great joy in the city. The truth is that every church has, has to be about word and deed. That's true. But it's not enough to just be a growing church. This text says that the product of a changed heart must be joy. And if there's no joy, it doesn't actually work. Our test for reaching out in mission, the goal of Lincoln Square is to bring joy to the city. So we should, yes, you can you know, exist to glorify God and join him forever. But some people can do that with just their friends or just their insider group. This text says that doesn't happen unless we bring joy to the city. And, folks, this this confronts our individualist Western tendencies. Uh, Most of us, what what do I mean? Most of us come to the city just to survive, to make it. Maybe make a little bit of money, make a name for ourselves, and then get out and go back. But, Christians, this is saying, changed by the gospel. Whether you were born and raised in this town or you moved to this town, we want the city to have joy. Redeemer LSQ's mission will not be complete until the people of this town are rejoicing. So we should be asking them what, maybe all of our, everything we do should be saying what's going to bring the most joy to this city? You have been scattered, my friends. We are scattered right now. But I believe if you've been planted in this town, We need to bear fruit. And I can't make you, but the gospel in our lives spills over and out. The mirth of the love cascades from our lips and from our attitudes. In that space now, we can say, yeah, okay, we might be less than 5% Christian and we want change, but why? For the joy of the city. And even if people don't become Christians, we're going to serve them with deeds. Why? For the joy of the city. That means hospitality. That means inviting people over. That means making the extra effort. That means forming ourselves with the word. Getting into community groups. That means taking catalyst classes. That means joining men's groups and women's groups. And yet, and yet, COVID's a challenge right now to do all this. But as last week we stated, hardships and exclusions are going to happen. They're going to happen to you. We don't get to choose our circumstances, but we do get to choose how we're going to respond to those circumstances. We don't want to wait around until this pandemic is over. We don't want to just wait for the apostles or some church program, right? We, we want to be sent out. And we can do that through worship and formation and community and missions. But so join us in doing this. The last thing I'll say is this. You want to know what the opposite of joy is how you know what it's not it's sorrow. It's hopelessness. It's always winter, never Christmas. But we're not hopeless because of the cross and the resurrection. The cross is the end of all of our sin. And the resurrection is that it won't always be this way. If that is our hope, then the way to cultivate joy is to slam ourselves into the assurance of our salvation found here. As we sip and taste and rest in the assured love and care, it will be the engine of light and love out in the world for the city to have joy. The Bible says this, and and you can see it there, or you can see it out in creation. I can see it on mountaintops. I can see it in God's creation. That the universe, all of creation, is really just one big ball of glory of God. And we might be right now trapped in a very small, tiny corner of darkness, but even that darkness can't hold. Joy always comes in the morning. Life will be all right. I will be all right. The world will be all right. And you get this by looking at Jesus until that joy of what he did brings you joy. That is the engine. That is the way. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Uh, thank you for the word. For de- thank you for doing deeds of acts of service and mercy in our own lives. And as that moves us and changes us, Father, it spills up in joy. That is the plan. That is what we see here. I pray we'll be a church like that in this season. Give us patience. We're tired. We're mentally drained. We're, not, we're out of our comfort zone. And hopefully this is the space where your spirit can infuse our hearts with your plan of action. We don't have to do everything all times. Father, you, we, all we have to do is with, with what you gave us. Help us in the moment that we're in. Help us today for have that joy to spill out in the world. We praise you it's in your name.
0: Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit LincolnSquare.Redeemer.com.